Well, we're talking about being a problem solver and how Moses led the people of Israel and they needed water and God gave him the answer to the problem and how just a short time later they needed water again. So one problem was solved, but another one came, even the same kind of problem. So we have problems that, that recur. We have problems that are different. As Eugene Kennedy said, one of the most common and naive sentences in the English language is perhaps the following. If I can just get through this problem, then everything will be all right. There comes a time, and it may well be the birth or maturity, when we come to realize that when we get through our present problem, there will probably be another one, probably slightly more difficult, waiting to take its place. Most of the Psalms were born in problems. Most of the apostles uh, wrote their letters in prison. And no problems are just normal and a part of everyday life. So solving problems should become one of the most strategic and important things in our lives. It's one of our primary activities. In fact, <clears throat> we're solving problems constantly. We don't even think of them, them as problems. You see, all of us are problem solvers to some degree. You may su be surprised how often you solve problems and how well you solve problems. But overall, most folks today are not doing very well. From all the indicators in our society, uh, it, it seems like individuals <clears throat> and families are not learning to really be problem solvers. For just take example, young people. They face monumental difficulties and all kinds of information that's not true and all kinds of problems getting jobs today and a, a tremendous amount of change. They live in a state of, of constant change, and in, in, in those, it's hard to cope, and many of them don't do too well. And there's a tremendously high rate of suicide and drug overdose today in our society because people don't understand how to deal with their problems. So we've established the fact that problems are normal, problems are a part of life. But I want you to realize something that you might have never thought about, problems are essential. They're not only inevitable and normal. If you have a lot of problems, welcome to the club. You're just normal. Moses did. Moses was a godly man, but he had problems. He had three million problems of people he was trying to get to the promised land. Everybody has them, but they're essential, and we need to recognize that. Lloyd Ogilvie said the greatest problem we all share is to a greater or lesser degree, is a profound misunderstanding of the positive purpose of problems. Until we grapple with this gigantic problem, we'll be helpless victims of our problems all through our lives. He goes on to say, in other words, we've got to come to believe what is true, that our problems have a purpose, that God is working in our problems to bring into our lives that which we need, and that problems, though inevitable and normal, are essential if we're to be the person God wants us to be. If we have to deal with these, then that's just a part of growing. You see, there's false idea number one is <clears throat> we believe that there is something inherently bad about problems because they often involve unpleasant pressures, distressing conflict, or inconvenient interruption of our plans for a smooth and easy life. But that's what problems do. And you see, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad. Problems do interrupt us. Problems do uh, bring difficulty to us. False idea number two is that we've got to deal, <clears throat> what we've got to deal with is we think that lack of problems should be a reward for hard work, careful planning, and clear thinking. Present 
within each of us is the hope that eventually out ahead somewhere, sometime, our life will be free of problems of any kind, but that will never be. So often we say, I can hardly wait until, thinking that we won't have any problems, but there will be a new set. See, false idea number three is we think that if we love God, commit our lives to him, and diligently serve him, he will work things out for us that everything will run smoothly and we'll be free of problems. But that doesn't work out either. That's not what God promises. And if we, if we think that's what ought to be, we're always asking, well, why did you let that happen to me, God? Why that's in my life? And that's why so many believers get messed up because they have a false idea. They start with a false premise, and that is if I'm serving God, loving God, then I'm not going to have any problems. The opposite may be true because, you see, it's kind of like somebody trying to row upstream. It's difficult, and that's what we believers are doing. Everything's floating against us. Everything's flowing against us because we know Christ and are walking with him. Most people think of problems as something bad or terrible or an interruption, but in truth, problems in and of themselves are not essentially bad. It's interesting to note that the Greek word of the word problem means to throw, to drive, or to thrust forward. Problems are the very means by which God changes us, transforms us, and drives us problem, drives us forward. Without problems, there would be no growth. Thomas Merton has said, a life without problems is hopeless. So problems are not only inevitable, they're important, they're essential. They help us to grow. Chuck Swindoll put it like this. He said, we're, we're all faced with the series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. We all know something about that. Once we begin to see, hey, this problem is tough, but God is working with us in it. And he's not only going to be working to solve it by his power, but he's going to grow us in the, prop, in the process. You see, a person without problems is going to be uh, like a desert, no rain, no blessings. Because, you see, you have to have problems to grow. Linsky, the Bible expositor, once said, when trials come, a lot of joy comes to people of faith. There's no denial that trials produce strain and pain. There is, however, a reminder that when they come and we evaluate them correctly, we ought to bear them with joy. The flesh will not like them, but the spirit will rejoice to prove itself and to gain from the trial that Christ intended should be for us. Paul always helps us to see how to deal with problems correctly and, and to see how they make a difference. In Philippians, he talks about all the things he'd been through, and he was writing from prison where he was chained to a Roman guard. Yet in Philippians, he uses the word joy and rejoice 19 times. The only way we can possibly do something like that is if we use problems from God's perspective, if we see them as a part of our growth and we see them as a stepping stone to blessing and we see them as a disguised opportunity. In Philippians 1.12, he says, Now I want you to know, my brothers, that what has happened to me has in effect turned out to be an advantage of the gospel. Paul was recognizing that some of his problems had enabled him to reach people that he would never have touched with the gospel of Christ. So today, I just want you to think about the fact that, so you have a problem. What is your problem? Look at it squarely in the face. And as you look at it squarely in the face, realize God is going to use this in your life if you let him. Now, you can be bitter or you can be better. If you choose to trust God, if you choose to ask him for answers, 
If you choose to walk with him in the midst of this problem, you'll be better. You'll be stronger. You'll be more enabled to know him better next time as you face a problem. So the choice is ours. The choice is ours. What are we going to see in our problems? A terrible, terrible difficulty or a great opportunity? Today, choose opportunity. Have a great day.